You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. Good morning. Good to see you this morning. If you are new to Riverside and I've not met you yet, my name is Bill. And I'd be glad to meet you afterwards back in uh, the lobby there. So please introduce yourself to me. And I hope to see all of you down at Summerfest this afternoon. Great food trucks. Oh, don't worry about making dinner tonight. It's going to be great. If you want to cook your own food, we have the pavilions. Let's just have a great family time together. We are almost to the end of this summer series. We've been walking through the book of Acts and seeing how the church got established by the power of the Holy Spirit. And um, uh, Jesus said that I am going to build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. It's not gonna be overcome. And we've observed how that happened. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the work of Christ on earth in the lives of those people who call themselves followers of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit inside true believers to pass on the DNA of what our spiritual ancestors had. And examining this DNA has been a thrill for me this summer to go through it again and look at it with fresh eyes. This journey to Acts has been that kind of an expedition to discover that DNA. And so the key verse of Acts, as we have heard, was Acts chapter one, verse eight. Jesus said before he ascended into heaven, that you're gonna receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And when that happens, you are going to be my witnesses. In other words, you're gonna bear witness to me in Jerusalem where it all starts and you're gonna spread out from there in all of Judea and then Samaria and then there's no stopping it. It's gonna go to the ends of the earth. And here we are at the ends of the earth from that today. So I thank God for those ancestors. We've talked about how the Spirit of God awakened awakened them and it awakens us to uh, uh, the power of God to use us to help, to heal, to save, to, to build a community of people that care for one another deeply and trust one another, that, that, that uh, transforms us, how it transformed Paul from being the persecutor to the defender and how the Spirit of God can transform us and then the Holy Spirit helps us to overcome. And that's where we're at today in this third part of this series called Overcome. And so we talk about Jesus building the church um, and how the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But unfortunately, though, the gates of hell won't overcome the spread of the church, there are times throughout history when the church does its best to thwart the advancement of the church. I will apologize up front that today's message is not gonna be a feel-good message. Because I think we need to deal with the ways in which we as followers of Jesus and the church in general can shoot ourselves in the foot and thwart what God wants to do We've seen throughout history how the church, when emperors become corrupted by power, you know, when the empire is Christianity and we conquer the world by sword and battle and thinking that we're converting people, you know, you repent or die kind of conversion. That's not the Jesus way of converting people, is it? 
but yet the Christianity spread that way. Greed, power, religious wars, inquisitions, crusades, forced conversions. And though Christendom may have spread through that, authentic Christianity, I think, was pretty much undermined through that. But you know, I always see that God is constantly using grassroots people who get it, people who, who understand it, who, who see Jesus for who Jesus is, and they separate Jesus from the church, and they say, well, the church may be going astray, but I'm going to follow Jesus. And I, here this morning, I know that, that, that many of you um, are going off to college, many of you are going back to school, and I want to speak to you because you're going into an environment, and I think we all live in that environment today where the church has pretty much shot itself in the foot pretty badly. And it's not popular to be a Christian today. It really isn't. I mean, when I was growing up, if you didn't go to church, there was something wrong with you. Now, if you go to church, there's something strange about you. So we're all strange here together this morning, right? And uh, you're not here because you have to, because it's the thing to do. You're here because you want to be, and I see that in you. And I think that's, I applaud you for that. I applaud you for that. And I want to encourage that. I want to encourage that because I think there's a lot of people that are tempted today to walk away. And I want to keep you from doing that. Because here's the thing, the DNA of authentic faith gets passed on through faithful witnesses of authentic believers. It passed through authentic believers. And I'm afraid that these days are gonna go down in history as one of those times in history where the church has taken a big step back because of unchecked abuse among religious leaders. It's all over the news. We got to deal with it. We got to talk about it. You hear it. You're going to be talking about it. People say, you go to church. I quit going to church. You see what's going on? And so we're dealing with being a faithful believer in the midst of a culture where it's not easy to do that, where the forces, the, the, the headwinds are against you if you're going to be a, an authentic follower of Jesus. And we're going to look at a story today where Paul came against those headwinds and how he, how he presented Christ to people that was a, a pretty tough audience for him. But you know, and, and I know that, that people are shaken by the report of the grand jury investigation in the Catholic Church. And your faith and mine is shaken. My faith in people is shaken. There's no way to sugarcoat this. There's, if anybody needed a reason to walk away from the church, they were just served up on a silver platter, all the reason they need to walk away from Christianity today. And you know a lot of friends of yours and coworkers who are sort of on the borderline are now taking that walk. Anybody, anybody understand that? Are you with me on that? Um, those who've been victimized by this have been irreparably harmed, and uh, it's tragic. It's just tragic. I'm sorry to bring this to us this morning, but I think we need to do that. And here's the thing. Humanity is flawed. Sin is real. Leaders have to be held to a higher standard. And though our faith in leaders and the church might be shattered today, my faith in Jesus, the authentic Jesus, 
the DNA that made the church great is stronger than ever because I think that's what's going to carry the church on. And throughout history, there have been times where the church has been purged, the church has been disciplined, it's been pruned, and it comes back stronger than ever. And I want to be a part of that, part, that community that's saying, yes, we need to deal with these things, and it needs to be exposed, and it needs to be dealt with, and things, systems that are broken need to be fixed, and things need to be better. But I want to be a part of the authentic grassroots group of people who say, Jesus is still real, and I'm a part of following Jesus. Are you with me on that? Do you understand what I'm trying to say here? So what I want to do is I want to look at a story where the Apostle Paul faced a very difficult audience. His newly formed faith in Jesus met up with the belief and thinking of the, of the leading thinkers of his day. And after Paul explained his faith, several of them became followers of Jesus, and a few of them scoffed at him. So <clears throat> if you have your Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 17, and I, I want to tell this story, but I also want to apply it to where we are today. So Acts chapter 17, Paul is on his second missionary journey. He's traveling with Silas, Barnabas, and John Mark went their own way, and Paul and Silas went back to visit some of the prior churches that Paul and Barnabas planted and to make some new connections with people. And chapter 13 tells where they went to Thessalonica, this city in Greece, and these Thessalonians where Paul would go in. Now, Paul was thoroughly Jewish, right? I remember he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees before he became so. He had these very strong Jewish scruples, and every time he'd go into a town, he would go to the synagogues in those towns because the, the diaspora of, of Jews had already happened, and they spread throughout the, the, the Roman Empire. So every town had its group of uh, a community of Jews who would have their own little synagogue and, and, and Paul would go in there because that's where he, you know, connected with people. He'd go to his own tribe first and talk to those people and he would tell them about Jesus as the Messiah. He's rose from the dead. He appeared to me. He appeared to these people. Do you believe in Jesus? And many people would come to faith in Jesus as the Messiah. But what would happen was the synagogue leaders and rulers and the people who were the power brokers in those communities would get mad because they weren't the ones teaching that. This guy comes in and teaches it, so they get angry. And in Thessalonica, what they did is they, it says that they rounded up a group of bad characters. I, I, I find that line really interesting. But they rounded up a group of bad characters and they started spreading all these rumors and bad news about Paul to the point where the town said, we don't need this trouble, and they kicked him out of Thessalonica. So Paul and Silas and Timothy was with them. They go down to the next village, the next town of Berea. And it says there the Bereans were people of noble character. And so they welcomed Paul and Silas and Timothy, and they, many of them became believers, and they searched God's word to see if what they were saying was true, and the Bereans were great people. But the Thessalonians, they were such bad characters that they weren't happy with just kicking them out of Thessalonica. They followed Paul to Berea, and they stirred up trouble in Berea. And so what happened is they go searching for Paul, and Paul's hiding out, and Silas and Timothy say, Paul, I'll tell you what, we'll stay here. You go down to Athens and wait for us. So Paul, by himself, takes a little vacation to Athens. And there he is. And that's where we pick up the story in Acts chapter 17. And Paul 
is in Athens waiting for Silas and Timothy to, uh, to catch up to him there. So we don't know how long he's there. It wasn't in his agenda to go to Athens. It wasn't his plans. It wasn't his travelogue. So he finds himself by happenstance to be there. And so what's he going to do? Well, let's read what it says. Begin to verse 18 of Acts 17. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. Right? I mean, Athens, the capital of the, the Greek philosophical, I mean, it's the, it's the hotbed of Greek philosophy and the Greek gods and goddesses. And so all this in a polytheistic culture, you have a god or a goddess for everything, you know. And, and if, you, if you treat that god or that goddess well, then they'll reward you with blessings. If you do something wrong to offend them, then you're going to pay the consequences. So it's this very superstitious there's a temple for every god and every goddess. There's trinkets, there's souvenirs to pass around, little statues and statuettes, all this religious artifacts and idols. So Paul, being thoroughly Jewish, gets offended because what's the first commandment? Love God, make no other idols, make no other graven images. So that's like the first thing that's, that we shouldn't be doing. And he sees this, he's, he's getting offended. So. Verse uh, 19 says, he went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles. So again, he goes to the place that he goes in every town first. But then he spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. So Paul is by himself. He's on vacation. What's he, Paul's going to do what Paul does. Talks about Jesus everywhere he goes. And then I love this passage, uh, this verse here. He says, he also had a debate with some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. Athens, Greece. This is where Plato, I mean Socrates, Aristotle, these, these great philosophers imparted their philosophy hundreds of years earlier and um, the influence of culture around this empire was all Greek. and. Um, and so Paul goes there. It's really the Harvard, should we say the Harvard of, of the Greek scholarship? And he's speaking to these Epicurean and philosophers, debating with them back and forth. When he told them about Jesus and his resurrection, they said, this babbler has picked up some strange ideas. Others said, he's preaching about some foreign gods. And so they took him to the Council of Philosophers, your, your version may say Areopolis, um, other versions say to Mars Hill. And this Council of Philosophers, they say, come and tell us more about this new religion, because their role was to catalog all the religions. Their role was to, you know, keep track of the new teachings. They weren't to necessarily judge it, whether it was right or wrong, but to just make a record of it. So Paul, come. Let's hear what your religion teaches. Let's hear what your, your God is all about. And so um, they said, you're saying some rather startling things that we want to know what it's about. And then I love this parenthetical statement. It should be explained that all the Athenians as well as the foreigners, the tourists in Athens, seem to spend all of their time discussing the latest ideas. Isn't that what the university setting's all about, right? Let's, let's all get together and discuss the latest ideas. 
So Paul, standing before the council in the middle of Mars Hill, some versions say, addressed them as follows. People of Athens, men of Athens, I, I, I noticed that you're very religious. For as I was walking along, I saw your many altars. And in fact, one of them had this inscription on it to an unknown God. You've been worshiping him without knowing who he is. So let me just tell you who he is. I love that. What a great segue into opening the preaching uh, about Jesus. So I, I want to get to what Paul preached, what his message was. But before I do that, can I just make a couple observations? Notice Paul was engaging these people who didn't know the first thing about Jesus, didn't know the first thing about the Hebrew Scriptures, and yet he wasn't afraid to dialogue with them. These highly educated, highly philosophical people, he doesn't fear them. He just engages them and debates with them. And yet he was persuasive enough to brought, be brought before this Eropagus, this this council of, of philosophical leaders, the academics who examined and compiled the teachings and introduced new religions and foreign gods. So that's why he was brought there. But, but all of these Athenians who are, who are spending their time just doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. I'm going to come back to that in just a minute. But I want to ask this question. How much of what we do in church is just an exchange of ideas? Are we just talking here? Is it just we're here to maybe hear a good message and to think some good thoughts, maybe meet some people, spend some time with friends? Are we just here to exchange ideas? Are we doing nothing but just exchanging ideas to get that day? Doing nothing but. So it's all about talk and nothing about action. In other words, whatever their beliefs were, whatever their philosophies were, it made very little difference in the way they lived, or it made no little good to the culture around them. Is your faith a faith of action, just a faith of talk? Does it really matter? Is it making a positive difference in you? Are you becoming a better person as a result of your belief? If your faith or lack thereof is leading you to becoming a worse person, then, then today really what I want us to do, myself included, let's just re-examine our faith for a few minutes here. Can we do that? Let's just do a re-examination of the kind of faith that you have and that I have. And I'm going to challenge you to put your thinking caps on this morning. Because here's the thing, the greatest enemy to good faith is bad faith. Jesus spent much of his ministry challenging the bad faith of religious leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees. You remember, he spent very little time attacking the non-believer. He wasn't attacking the 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 outsiders, he was attacking the inside. He was attacking people who claimed to have a faith, but their faith was hurting people. Remember the woes to you, scribes and Pharisees. Woe to you. He attacked those people. 
Why should we get upset then when the media exposes bad faith examples of the religious leaders of our day, when that was the very thing that Jesus did? Is the media doing us a favor by exposing these things? I think so. I think so. So I want to talk briefly about good faith versus bad faith. What I see the difference between the two is. If you're following along in your app, you can fill in some of the blanks here. Here's the thing. Good faith is active and makes us a better person. Bad faith is apathetic and makes us worse. James said it this way. Faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. The Athenians spent nothing, spent their time doing nothing but exchanging ideas. And some of the ideas were this. The Epicureans <clears throat> believe that the supreme good in life is happiness. Just do whatever you can to be happy. And, and though it wasn't in its origin about sensual and temporary gratification, by Paul's time, it pretty much had degenerated into that system of thought. And how many of you know that Epicureanism is prevailing well today in our culture? It's just about being happy. And a lot of Christianity is just a happy faith. It's all about feeling good. It's an Epicurean Christianity. And then there's the Stoic philosophy, which is you need to live in sync in accord with nature, and, and you need to be self-sufficient, and you need to be independent, and you need not give in to your, your, your lustful desires. And, and, and though there are some great points to Stoicism as well as Epicureanism, by Paul's time, Stoicism just degenerated into a system of pride, like the Pharisees which was a very stoic form of Christianity. And so my question is, if I'm convinced that what I believe is true, should it not make a positive difference in my life? Should it not really make me to be a better person? And should I not be in hot pursuit of the truth and not just on this lukewarm walk in the park, what many of us sort of think about our faith? or not may think about, but that's sort of our faith acts out. So bad faith is more talk than action. Here's another contrast. Good faith is humble, right? It's teachable. It's curious and inquisitive. Bad faith is arrogant and prideful and unteachable. I like what Isaiah says, first chapter of Isaiah, come, Let's reason together. Let's, let's engage. Let's talk about it. Let's talk with each other about what we believe. Admitting your lack of faith is the first step to deeper faith, and knowing that you have a lot more to learn is essential to a growing faith. Those who believe they have all the answers will gain no more answers. Those who have all the truth are the ones who are closed to truth. And so we need to be humble and growing in our faith and realize that I don't have all the answers. And the person who admits that is far more attractive than the person who comes across like a know-it-all, right? Let's be humble. Let's be humble about what we believe because frankly, we don't know it all. If you have God figured out, you're bigger than God. And I don't think you are. 
hate to break it to you. Good faith is honest. It's persuasive. Bad faith is dishonest and manipulative. I like what, what it says in First Peter. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do it with gentleness and respect. Good faith invites people to kick the tires and drive it around and test it out. Good faith allows for questions and, and, and is honest when the answers are, are hard to come by. But bad faith, you know, it hides the truth. Bad faith controls its adherence. Bad faith denies its failures. This is what we're dealing with today. When we deny that we have a problem, when we do things in secret, hide the truth, control people by religion, that's not the Christ type of faith that we need to adhere to. Good faith is selfless and grateful. Bad faith appeals to our self-interest or selfishness and base motives. I mean, this is the root of good faith. Love God with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself. It's not that complicated. But if your faith makes you more judgmental, if your faith makes you more um, angry, if your faith makes you more prideful, it's bad faith. If it makes you more greedy, you're not following the good faith. Now, let me just make this statement and understand it first. There are good faith and bad faith people in every religion. That doesn't mean that every religion is equal or valid. I'm just saying that there's good faith and bad faith people in every religion, right? But the biggest hindrance to Christianity is bad faith Christians. And that's where, unfortunately, as we look at the church and the history of the church, we need to notice the times when bad faith Christianity has thwarted the growth of church. In the book of Acts, we see the opposite. We see the opposite. So here, here's Paul. Remember we said Paul gets up to this council and he begins to teach them about his belief. And he realized these are the academics, these are the leading thinkers of his day, and he needs to present Christ and present the gospel in a way that will connect with them. And he connects with them in terms of the altar to an unknown God. Now, in the Greek world, you've got to have an altar to every God, and those altars are to make the gods happy. They don't want to offend any gods, so if they're missing out on any gods, they've got to have an altar for the unknown gods just to make sure they cover all the bases. And then, but yet Paul says, okay, here's what one of the things, I've seen this, let me talk about the unknown God. Let me tell you about him. And he begins by talking to them about the God of creation. If you want to share faith, that's a good place to start with people. And he says to them, he says, he is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is the Lord of heaven and earth. He doesn't live in man-made temples. 
and human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. Notice, he addresses the idolatry right there without calling it idolatry. He's saying, if there is a God who created all of this, <clears throat> then you can't contain him. And you can't make something out to be him with human hands. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need there is. Imagine you're one of these philosophers, you listen to that, and you're saying, wow, that sounds like a great God. I, I want to hear about him. I want to hear about this God. From one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth, and he decided beforehand which one should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. So he talks about the, the sovereignty of God, the omnipotence of God, the, the omnipresence of God. He's given this deep theology about a one God and all of their gods is subservient to this one God. And he kind of takes all of their belief and, and, and wraps it up into this supreme being, the supreme God. And then notice what he does. He connects with them, right in common ground with them. He goes on and he says, this God's purpose, his purpose in all of this was that all nations should seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. This supreme, omniscient, omnipresent God is near to us. That's great theology, is it not? And he's teaching them about what he believes about God. And then he says this, for in him we live and move and exist. Now you and I wouldn't know this, but that is a quote from one of their poets. And then he goes on and he says, as one of your own poets says, we are his offspring. So he quotes from two of their poets. In him we live and move and have our being is a quote about Zeus the Greek god Zeus, but he uses that and he says, all right, I'll go with you that far, that there is a God in whom we live and move and have our being, right? And so from there, he goes and says, and we are his offspring, so we are children of God. He doesn't use scripture at all. He doesn't say the Hebrew script, it says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, that we're all created in the image of God, so because the Bible says that I believe it, it's true, and you need to believe it. That goes nowhere with people who have no belief in Scripture. But he meets them right where they are, and he uses their words to describe the God that he believes. So is there some truth in other religions? You bet your booty there is. Let's start with that. Let's begin with that. Let's go from there and point people to Jesus. And that's what he does. And since this is true, he says, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. But then he goes on and says, but God overlooked people's former ignorance about these things. But now he commands everyone everywhere to turn away from idols and to turn to him. For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man that he has appointed. And here's where he points people to Jesus. And he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. 
What sets Christianity apart from every other religion? A literal physical resurrection from the dead of Jesus Christ, who lived, who was crucified, who was buried, and who rose the third day. That's what sets Christianity apart from every other religion. And that's what proves the deity of Jesus and the teaching of Jesus. So he anchors everything on the resurrection. The door to Christianity turns, it hinges on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of a person who had been dead, some of them laughed, but others said, tell me more. I want to hear about this later. And so that ended Paul's discussion with him. It's like a presentation before the Supreme Court. You've got three minutes to make your case. And that ended his discussion with them, but some joined him and, he, and, and became believers. Among them, and I love how he names names, Dionysius, a member of the council, and a woman named Damaris, and others. So let's bring this home. You go into the workplace, you go back to school, you go to college, you, wherever you are in your neighborhood, people are talking about the church, wanting to walk out the door and the horrendous news that's out there. Don't disagree with them. Don't defend it. It deserves to be exposed. But point people to Jesus instead. That's not the Jesus in the Bible. I think God wants to judge, and judgment needs to begin with the house of God, and it needs to be purged, and it needs to be fixed, and we need to move on with a more authentic faith, a more authentic faith. When you talk about Christ, some are going to laugh, some are going to listen. But always bring it to the fact that, hey, I believe Jesus rose from the dead. I, why do I believe that? Well, you know, um, maybe because the people who followed him all gave their lives for believing that. Maybe that's a good reason. I believe it because they believed that. I believe it because their faith was so real and authentic and, 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 and life-giving. So my believing in Jesus comes a lot from seeing the story in Acts. God the Creator beginning with God, don't you think there's a God that created this? Don't you think that all of this, ha it didn't happen just by chance, that there is a force, there's a God who created it? Do you believe that this God can recreate things? Do you believe the Creator can recreate? Because that's what resurrection's all about. It's about bringing back from death things that are dead, bringing them to life. It's about taking me who was spiritually dead and giving me new life and a new start. It's about somebody who was full of fear and now I have faith. It's about somebody who was full of anger and now I'm all about hope. It's about somebody who was full about 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 talk and turning somebody that cares and, and, and puts faith into action. This is all what resurrection is about. If Jesus has risen from the dead, then he can bring you back to life and give you new life and transform your life and give you hope to help you overcome. He can awaken you and transform you and help you overcome. That's what we've been talking about all summer long. And that's the message of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to stick to that. I'm going to stick to that.
Some may believe and some will laugh, but I'm going to stick to that. And so let me just wrap this up. I always ask the question, what inspires me and what challenges me because of these stories? Two things that I want to hit on today. Number one, I'm inspired and challenged to examine my faith. Am I a good faith or a bad faith Christian? Are others being drawn toward or deterred from Christ because of my example? That's the examination that all of us need to ask. Are people coming to Christ or are they being deterred from Christ because of my example? Not because of some priests, not because of church, not because of leading pastors or other people who might be bad faith examples. What about my example? And then the second thing is, am I inspired and challenged to share my faith, especially with people outside of my faith? And notice what Paul did. He listened in order to be heard. He debated with them. He didn't come on the scene with, I'm the expert and have all the answers. He listened. A debate is an exchange of ideas, yes. But he listened. He looked to find common ground. He built he built a friendship by talking with them and listening. In other words, if you have to build a friendship before you can build your case. Before you can build your case. And I'm challenged and inspired to bear witness to my creator who is still recreating me. Still recreating me. If there is a creator, then he can be a recreator. And so let me just throw out the question as you examine your faith. You may be tempted to walk away because of the news. You may be tempted to step out and say, well, man, if that's what Christianity is, I don't want any part of it. If these religious leaders can't get it right, who am I supposed to think that I can get it right? Maybe you are in that spot. Maybe some of your friends or family members are in that spot right now. And I understand it makes perfect sense to me. So examine your faith. Is it a faith in an institution? Is it a faith in people? Or is it a faith in Jesus? And my, my, my encouragement to you is come back to Jesus. Always come back to Jesus. Yeah, the church often goes astray, but Jesus brings it back. I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that. Examine your faith. Examine your faith. And are you drawing people closer to Jesus? Because you're an accurate witness of the kind of good faith that Jesus wants you to have. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Lord, I know that um, this is not an easy message, a feel-good message, but I believe it's a necessary message that we need to talk about. And I want to begin by saying, God, forgive us. Forgive this church. Forgive your church. God, we pray for those who are victimized and hurt by bad faith leaders.
pray for those who have been victimized, and we pray for the victims too, God, that they would repent. And God, where we fall short, because we all do, we ask for forgiveness. I want to be a true follower. I want to bear witness to the DNA of these disciples. uh, The DNA that founded this church based on the Holy Spirit and the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I, I want to be that kind of believer. Help me, Jesus, I pray to do that, to be that. Help us, Jesus, to be a place where we hold each other accountable, where we help each other to move forward in faith, that we are humble about, and that our faith really makes a difference. This I pray for your glory so that the church might continue to be built in our generation. And may we be a part of it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.